I V M. Hello and welcome to Simplified. We continue our chat this week with economics professor Ashish Kulkarni. who is also a blogger at econ for everybody we delve deeper into concepts of economics how they impact our lives in ways we see and we don't and we also ask him about the upcoming recession the indicators of it and how do we cope with it in our own personal capacities the intersection of economics and philosophy so philosophy is many things right it's making sense of the world Right. at large right and your human condition what life means what and economics in slightly more meta sense like for example i was reading recently about people who believe that growth is not important uh, equality is right? right so they would rather not have growth and have more income uh, equality and there's another point which shows or tries to show that growth even if it does increase economic inequality income inequality it actually improves outcomes for even the poorest people so you would rather be a very very poor people in a rich country than a not so poor person in a poor country because overall that kind of thing so then that starts affecting the way you think about life as a you know as a whole so what is your sense of how economics or what you see what you experience you know changes your view of the world or you know the way your view on life or your view on the purpose of life or whatever big questions of philosophy includes so my favorite definition of economics is it is a study of how to get the most out of life and what economics will tell you is what are the tools that will help you get the most out of life but what is for you the most out of life that can't come from economics that must come from philosophy brilliant correct so you can yeah. Yeah. and that nobody else can answer for you that only comes yeah. from within and from figuring out what you want out of life but now that you decide okay this is what i want out of life i want to make simplified the best podcast in the world then sure mm. economics can help you in figuring out how to make that happen do you mean to imply we already aren't Huh. <laughs> anyway, so go oh, there. No, no. Or pa pa is what we should be saying. So pa, exactly. So, do you feel then, Ashish, a big yeah. part? And again, this kind of goes back to the problem with today's pedagogy. Again, is hmm. do you feel a large part of the problem today is not teaching that second part, that also vital? What do you want out of life thing? You're equipped, like arguably. no education system is equipping you with the tools better it's just that you have this huge bunch of tools and you don't know what to kind of do with them would you think that that's a problem not just for economics education but overall in india and promise i'll be the last education question including for myself this applies equally to myself uh, i don't think we ask often enough to ourselves what is it that we want or like we want yeah we simply take a look at what other people are running behind and say chalo this is what yeah. Yeah, we will uh, sadly, the, sadly, the only time that that question is ever asked is during MBA interviews, where everybody gives the same answer. <laughs> where do you see yourself five years from now? Where do you see yourself? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but sure, no, absolutely. I, I don't think mm. all of us ask ourselves that question often enough. Yeah. I'd like to sort of. I don't know if I mentioned this on this podcast uh, before. There's this book I read few months ago called Wanted by a guy named Luke Burgess. So this Wanted is about a topic called mimetics. And mimetics oh, yeah. is, yeah, it's very interesting. So it's very simple also. And the funda is that you have uh, intrinsic desires and you have desires which are imitative. And a lot of us aren't able to make the distinction between the two, and we get trapped into having imitative desires, which give us a lot of stress. 
and don't give us the satisfaction when those desires are actually fulfilled whereas intrinsic desires things which you really want to do and it's a good lens to look at things like that and that sort of somehow in my mind devolves into behavioral economics as well which tells so there is very nice sort of anecdote in thinking fast and slow about how a statistician a friend of kanemans falls for a bias even though he is the guy who actually discovered that bias so it is how we are hardwired into you know having things like that and that's why the new age of economics seems to be the behavioral uh, part where humans are essentially not rational creatures which was uh, you know assumed that is of core assumption in the economic theory of yesterday what are your views on so it's very empirical people do a lot of uh, very clever experiments but mm. economics being economics a lot of those experiments are very difficult to you know parse you could right. twiddle the knobs of that experiment a little bit and get entirely new right. so how does one deal with things like biases things like one's own irrationality does in your experience knowing more about something you know improve your resistance or sort of you know your tendency not to fall into that trap how do you look at this whole subject i would like to say that knowing more helps you avoid those mistakes and i would love to be able to say that but i end up having wondering too many for example if friends come over i'll end up wasting a little bit too much time the only thing that economics does is it if the when the moment of regret eventually occurs at least you know where you screwed up so that's you know in the very very nice way of putting it which <laughs> <laughs> is actually okay. half the yeah. it doesn't mean you are not going to screw up in the same way again but yeah you yeah, know yeah, you yeah. screwed up for that reason <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> i mean in some ways that's taking an analogy of just taking like extending that particular thing right i mean it's i won't say it's like based on a theory but it's economics led thinking in some way where i'm like i have like a specific like chuck is solidly into at least the last year has spent a significant amount of time working out and like building his fitness in some way i have just i have neglected that aspect but the one aspect that i really look at is in some ways where i'm like when i'm looking at something eating something sweet or mm. looking at something like that right i'm like there is a particular some mom's friend has got some mithai and stuff like that it comes in the house and all that stuff and she's like ha ye le le and i'm like mm. No, I'm saving my calories for when I'm really tempted. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because I'm like, yeah, देखो, I have, I know I shouldn't be eating this stuff. Eating garbage is not going to help me here because again, <laughs> I need, I, I know that I'm going to end up eating this. I will fall, I'll succumb to this. But I'd rather succumb to this on my own terms rather than succumbing to it in like some other concept. So I think I'd say economics-led thinking has at least helped me. I mean, in some ways, ration my mistakes. <laughs> so i am able to do them better while i continue to do them but just do them better i guess no that's no, right side right well side yeah i know i think mm-hmm. this is very interesting thinking and especially you're saying it at a interesting time right it's the beginning of the year everyone has mm-hmm. resolutions and everyone's trying to learn about habits and things like that and over the last few years this is renewed emphasis on building habits rather than that yeah. one outsized goals right if you I mean you've probably read an article if not the entire book by james clear Uh, on the habits, topic yeah. atomic habits so it's a brilliant book i think and what i find fascinating is the little thing that shriket just spoke about i see that kind of advice being said more and more you know like take the measurable things and you know a kind of 
it's almost like break your life down into small numbers so that your decision to do things becomes easier. So I'll take what Shri Ketan and extend it a little more. One fascinating way of thinking about junk food and you know rewarding yourself and all that is to think about calories not from a daily basis but a weekly basis. right and to aggregate your saved calories through the uh, through the week and completely splurge on that at the end and you can do that guilty free knowing that you're still well within your limit or you know whatever the case may be and i see that possibly happening in other places as well james says if you want to build a reading habit start with okay today i will commit to reading 10 pages for instance yeah. so i find this breaking down of you say vague goals into these tangible little things one way of i guess thinking about uh, i i don't know whether you would call that economic theory but i find it it's quite interesting when you break it down into actual tangible numbers that you can quantify maybe check off or something like that again yes. just an observation not a question no absolutely so my favorite blog to read about economics is a blog called marginal revolution and there are oh. multiple <laughs> interpretations to the phrase marginal revolution yeah. <laughs> what you spoke about is a classic example of a marginal hmm. revolution ki yaar aaj 10 panne padunga if you do that for a week if you show up and read those 10 pages for a week then over time it ends up becoming a habit so when i started writing on the blog i started the blog uh, in 2016 and wrote fairly regularly for about a year and then i gave up which i think everybody is very good at doing and then a couple of years later i said chalo theek hai bano start Uh, writing the blog again, but what I promised myself was every day I'll share five links that I read that day. Bus, nothing more. Did that long enough? I myself got bored with putting up only five links, and then I said, "Boss, I mean, you know, you should do something more." And that basically is what you can call it atomic habits. You can call it marginal revolutions. But taking one step at a time and adding to that one step, so long as you do that one step every day, can go a very long way. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, the eight, the some who was it who said the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. <laughs> <laughs> true absolutely yeah so what i was mentioning was this entire thing about this aspect of doing it and uh, similarly another one i think uh, there was another theory which i uh, i mean for working out and all that stuff there are all these like different hacks one of the one of the ones that i saw which was very simple which said that basically working out principle is like no second day off right mm. the the whole point is like between workouts it's okay to take a day off right after the day you work out just make sure you don't take two days off back to back right mm. and that's an entire aspect of like kind of behavioral hacking by understanding economic principles and understanding how like people function in certain ways and what are like those motivators for them like one aspect which i used and more venturing into behavioral science and that's actually a question which i'd want to pose later about where behavioral science ends and where behavioral economics begins in some oh. ways but there was this one aspect which we were talking about was cholesterol so i was working on this mm. one brief in malaysia where basically in malaysia whole bunch of like uh, half the population has high cholesterol right and people generally try to like they bury their heads in the sand about the problem because they're like if you don't think about it it'll go away therefore the conventional way of thinking about it was let's hammer people by telling them that one in two malaysians have high cholesterol and that would turn people away even more like yeah. nobody wants to think about it and you're trying to push this scary fact in my face and so like we use this one principle called chunking and we kind of showed how people is like managing cholesterol is a very small task all you need to do is like really tiny interventions every day right you all you need to do is just do one thing here just do this one particular thing there go to the aisle and this pick up this one thing at this point of time so it's breaking up the task into smaller pieces help people kind of feel like oh it's not that big a deal right and so that helped in kind of understanding it so I mean, coming back to that question that I kind of asked about that was, I mean, there's a lot of understanding and there's a lot of interest in the space of behavioral science, right? And mm-hmm. I'll admit, even though being a behavioral science enthusiast, 
I don't really very well understand the difference between how behavioral science works and behavioral economics works and where the line for one ends and the other begins. So I don't know if you will be able to enlighten us on that as such. I don't have the faintest idea, but I would say application of economic principles to behavioral norms is behavioral economics. But I don't know where the line stops. I would argue everything that we've spoken about can be thought of from a behavioral economics perspective also. But another underlying principle is that of incentives, which is just a whole fascinating story in its own right. How do you incentivize yourself to get something done? So Tim Ferriss, for example, has this way to incentivize himself to lose weight. He spoke about this many years ago, where he'll send a friend a truly embarrassing picture of himself in the most embarrassing pair of underpants that he possesses. And he'll say, if I don't hit my target weight by a particular day, I allow you to put this picture on social media. That's, in our language, we'll call that a negative incentive. And a positive incentive might be to reward yourself. That if you can stick to a particular thing, then you will reward yourself with something at the end of the day. But no matter what you do, the usage (laughs) of incentives is fantastic. Fantastic. Where behavior starts is where people figure out how to game these incentives. And we have a very cool, uh, I mean, only a nerd like me can think that what I'm about to say is cool. But we have a very cool way of expressing the fact that people like to game incentives. It's called Goodhart's Law. And what it says is every measure that becomes a target stops being a measure. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. We, the two of us have worked in digital marketing. We know exactly <laughs> what you mean. <laughs> if there is a metric, it will be gamed. And that's a problem. I mean, Chuck, remember PTAT? <laughs> Small anecdote on this. So one of my early clients when I started freelancing was a, a photographer. And um, so I come from a school of thought where, where when it comes to digital marketing of saying, hey, the number of followers and all that, you know, doesn't matter and all that. Stop chasing that as a number because then right. that's what you're optimizing for rather yeah, than yeah. creating good content, etc. Yeah. So that's a, this is the, the idealistic school of thought that I come from. So mm-hmm. I ran into this uh, photographer who was asking me again, based in the US, is like, okay, Deepak, how do I increase the number of followers that I have. I'm targeting all folks in India so that I can uh, increase that number on the cheap because the CPM rates over here are cheaper than in the US. And I said, and I'm like, <coughs> excuse me, now you don't really need to do this because I, I said this entire thing, right? Uh, acting like a guru. And then I understood his incentives, which was, I know all this, but when I go to galleries to publish my work, they look at the number of social media following that you have and they don't give a rat's ass about whether these are Indians or people who are going to buy your expensive photographs or whatever. I just need to pump up that number. So I don't know if that's an example of this, but it just got me thinking about the whole as angle of uh, incentives. And, you know, I think that's another thing that should be taught at a young age, which is the empathy to figure out the incentives, especially when you're being sold to or in a, any two-way transaction. Anyway, so that is just a small little aside. Just as an addition to this and something I was working with, I think uh, Chuck, you and I, so Chuck and I used to work together at an agency for a brief period of time. And one of the accounts that we both shared was uh, this This particular client was really adamant. So comes to me really adamantly and says, hey, I need to increase my follower count for this, this stuff and all. And I think the two of us worked together to kind of build this entire presentation to show why follower count doesn't matter. The client nodded along, agreed, everything is fine. I, I continued working on it for a long time afterwards. Like this mission to educate kind of thing, kind of like did a deep dive into it. 
and the client still always skeptical then one day we finally sat down and as most things get resolved over a drink mm-hmm. and we kind of sat down over a drink and i just talked to him and i was like why are you still i mean we have spent this much time and you're not a dumb guy you spent so much time understanding why are you still insistent on this he's like you don't understand once i cross say 2 lakh followers i get to release a press release which puts out there that i have so many followers on social media that press release is part of my kra right so please don't i mean i understand where your concern is coming from and all that as a brand manager i can never in a formalized way tell you that yeah you're wrong but here is my concern i need a press release so just give me the number that i'm asking for don't uh, don't ask me further questions beyond that so it's again everyone is driven by metrics in a large way in like a corporate way, uh, sense and everyone's working towards delivering on those metrics so it's a classic thing right like i mean when i'm being chased by a bear i don't need to outrun the bear i just need to outrun you Correct. so <laughs> yeah so, so the original story that, comes from hanoi where uh, there was a outbreak of plague and the government in hanoi said we will curtail the plague by rewarding citizens for having killed the rats And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. You prove that you killed the rats by oh. bringing up a rat's tail. So people started <laughs> cut, literally growing rats to cut off their tails and give it to the government. It's a classic <laughs> example of how a measure stopped being a measure once it became the target. And the way I like to explain this to students is to say your seventy-five percent attendance, otherwise term not granted, is basically the same thing at play. You'll make sure you learn, mm, yeah. but there's no guarantee that you will learn. We yeah. figured out how to Learned, game yeah. the system, but we are humans are very good at gamifying incentives in entirely the wrong way. It's oh, always going to be yeah, a problem. Yeah, totally. So I run a small uh, manufacturing business, and uh, yes. I employ people. And yeah. I have learned the hard way that you need to incentivize people. I mean, incentives are far more important than one imagines. So yeah. whatever your objectives are, first you need to have clarity on what your objectives are, and then you need to see very, very carefully how to incentivize people. and the world the real world and people are so complicated that almost invariably your first efforts are going to bomb so you will put some incentive and people will go game them yeah and it's an ongoing battle it's marketing for example for us we need to you know link marketing to sales mm-hmm. because it's institutional we supply to automotive companies so you know you get an order from an automotive company so you've told someone that he is in charge of this company and if he generates more he goes out and generates unprofitable sales right and because that's his met and i don't think there is any cut and dried answer on how you can uh, sort of actually set or design incentives but is there anything any book or any sort of body of work that you might have read that talks about these kind of thing i think nudge theory is one of those uh, sort of goes there but uh, something sort something of. less esoteric than that yeah um discover your inner economist by tyler coven is a book basically okay. about figuring out how you can incentivize both yourselves and others but also the pitfalls of how to think about what might go wrong so the a uh, technical term for what you just said narin in terms of designing incentives and getting them right it's if you want to sound all academic is uh, incentive compatibility design so how to make sure that your workers and you both have the same going to use that in a party this weekend yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but uh, so tyler cowen speaks about a couple of examples which i love to use to illustrate to people the power of getting your incentives right and also what might go wrong so he speaks about say for example imagine that i Hate sitting in a dentist chair, which I think is all of us. So, yeah. what if I say to the dentist that I'll give you an extra amount of money if you make sure that it does not end up being a painful experience for me? Is that mm. a good incentive or not? 
So yeah, there are no yeah, it's probably tough. a bad incentive. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So which part of yeah. yourself do you want to pander to? The guy who doesn't yeah. want to sit in the chair again, or the guy who doesn't want to feel pain at all? But mm. one way or the other, you're going to get your incentive wrong, and you need to figure out what you're going to prioritize. The other thing that I loved, and I used it uh, in the case of my daughter, was he says every time you go to a museum, let's face it, every now and then you're going to get bored. But after paying that, you're going to look at every damn painting in every damn room. You know you are bored to death. You know you want to leave, but no, ab sun cost fallacy all over again. You go to want to take a look at every single painting. So he says, why did you try and gamify it for yourself? Ask yourself this question: If you could steal only one painting from each room to hang above your bed, which painting would you choose? So yeah. now it's not about having to look at That's all paintings. It's a different paintings. way of looking at it. Yeah. Exactly. So now suddenly incentives are flipped, yeah. and now you are no longer bored. And this worked in the case of my daughter. So we spent a very interesting couple of hours where she went through the museum, saying, "Hey, Dad, we, maybe we should steal this painting." Only downside was we <laughs> made a couple amazing. of security guards very nervous. But that's a price that you pay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, uh, sorry, go on, go on, go on. Yeah, go on. No, no. This this reminds me of Ch- this time when I I visited Bombay. I think Chuck and uh, we discovered this. very interesting unexpectedly interesting museum in the middle of bombay which is the uh, nehru center which has basically the entire history of india from like the indus valley civilization yeah, all the yeah, way wow. all yeah. the way till independence yeah. and that's a beautiful museum it's a beautiful actually it's museum. very detailed yeah. and it's a, it's visual it's a visual treat and it's it's amazing by generally needs to go through that but it's exhaustive and we went there with like oh let's spend half an hour going through this stuff and that was so exhaustive that we were like towards the end we were like more than i mean more than and it was free because again we didn't really spend any money going uh, in there but more was oh my god there is so much content over here yet we did not allocate the time over here so we were like we yeah, we were like rushing through the exhibits because we were like acha apne ko aage jaane ka hai but yeah we are still like committed and pot committed yeah. in some way right Ashi, so that particular thing was there but sir yeah chaki yeah, was saying Ashi, something have you seen this movie called in time by any chance mm. So it's a fascinating. Oh wow, one. that's a beautiful yeah, one. Yeah. So the yeah. movie, movie, etc. It's it's one of those movies where the honestly the concept is better than the actual mm. movie itself. Much like uh, yesterday, where the movie was okay, but the con- but the concept yeah. of what concept would you walk up in a world without the Beatles, I think that was fascinating. So in this movie, uh, wow. there is no concept of money. Right. Uh, what instead people have is time. So when you say time is money, this movie takes it literally. So what happens is whenever you I think have it, economic... sorry, you were talking about this movie in Bangalore, I think. I think I was. Yeah, yeah. I might have mentioned it yeah. because we had just correct, Chuck correct, and I had just discussed yeah. it. Yeah, so, sorry, possibly, correct, possibly. No, I'll, so I'll just uh, I'll just reiterate what happened over there for anyone who might not have heard of it. So whenever you complete an economic transaction, including work at your office, you don't get paid money. You get paid in time. And how that happens is you—it's almost like your entire arm is NFC, and you just like and your your balance, your bank. What is your bank balance gets reflected on your arm, and it's fascinating. It's kind of fascinating, right? What happens is when you run out of time, you die. That's when you like almost die. And while watching the movie, it was kind of fascinating. But on reflection, I was like, hey, this is all—it's exactly the same as money. If you replace the novelty of this movie, is the fact that they've. Okay, they made us think that time is equal to money, but if you take, if you replace everything time in this movie with actual money, nothing really changes. The plot is the same, the villains' incentives are the same, except the currency here is more seconds instead of dollars and cents. And that movie made me really think that uh, you know, time really is money in some sense. I mean, I just thought. I mean, it one thing for yeah. sure is that take that thought a little further and just put it there is that. 
I think a classic, I think one of the biggest fallacies that economics can help us solve is how much we undervalue time. Yes. For yeah, money. Yeah. Right. Like how much time, how much value we need to assign to time and how much like we classically go penny wise pound foolish in mm. terms of time is concerned. Like where we say that, okay, I'm willing to like the very simple aspect of like, I am willing to go and stand for three hours in a line where I could get it done for one hour. I mean, one one aspect which I feel which is very relevant with at least our parents in some ways. And I think it comes down over here is like my, the other day my mother was, she, there was a, some bank work was to be done or whatever. And she had uh, paid the guy in advance. She had paid him some money in advance, some 200 bucks in advance, right? And then he kind of forgot about it. And my mom has a bad knee. So climbing upstairs and all that stuff is a pain for her. She was like, but I paid him 200 bucks in advance. And I'm like, bro, you climb up that set of stairs because there's no other way to get up there. You twist your knee and it's going to cost us at least a couple of lakhs in therapy and everything else. Right. But that 200 rupees by principle, it's like causes so much rage that she had to climb those stairs and go and confront that manager to get whatever done. And that's where I think not just time, but also health in that way. Like we trade off on health and time because it feels like it's a we have enough of it and we have it's an expendable commodity over something that is money which is very quantifiably running out right so i think that's a very interesting concept but yeah from, moving from that and this is actually one question that i i really wanted to ask ashish and in fact i so i i met ashish a few weeks ago in bangalore and i distinctly held off from asking this question even though <laughs> so i really wanted to <laughs> because i was saving it for the podcast was generally i mean i mean i would love to hear what the economists outlook is on the upcoming so-called upcoming recession kind of situation right now because i mean there is a lot of conversation about that now in my this thing i'm i dabble in the markets a bit mm-hmm. and like from the markets point of view it's all there's a lot of speculation there's a lot of up and down the markets are on all-time highs yet everyone is like oh i'm taking all money out of equities kind of mentality on some level then you talk about it from a more national point of view where everyone's like okay inflation is through the roof after covid the k-shaped recovery happened and whatever else like different kinds of angles happened with all of that so there's a lot of a lot of murkiness for Mm -hmm. the layperson in terms of what is going to happen, whether there is a recession going to happen. And whenever we say recession, at least I would say millennials, the only recession we have experienced was 2009, which was like an explosive kind of recession, right? There was this one big event and then like the markets crashed and then there was a period where jobs weren't there and that was followed by a period of economic growth, Mm -hmm. right? And I'd say someone who has studied probably more recessions than the last one. What is your perspective on the upcoming recession? What it's coming with and like maybe some angles of how we can prepare for it. Take a quick break. We're speaking with Ashish Kulkarni, blogger at Econ for Everybody and economics professor. See you on the other side. Stay tuned to Simplify It. Welcome back to Simplify It. We're speaking with Ashish Kulkarni, economics prof and blogger at Econ for Everybody. Okay, so three responses. First, I don't have the faintest idea. Nobody does. <laughs> yeah, excellent. <laughs> no, and, and I mean you, that you, seriously. You would be another so, podcast that's not simplified if you actually knew the answer. To yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's way. true. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. No, but the whole point is, again, I'm not asking your understanding of knowing how it is, but how can, yeah, like you gave us the phrase, what was that phrase you just said about educational incentivized, educa- no, sorry, incentive, incentive management. Yes, yeah. I need terms like that. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we'll get to all of those terms. 
but I, I genuinely mean that anybody who claims to be able to predict the future, they don't know what they're talking about. If I did know how to predict the future, trust me, I wouldn't be recording a podcast right now. I'd be trying to figure out how to game the market to make more money. So that's yeah, one. Like, that's like, like, like the guy who bet in Back to the Future, you remember, he had the book oh, yeah, with yeah, all correct. the bets and he went back in time. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was a brilliant optimization of time. I thought if I were like, <laughs> if I had time travel, that is what I would do. Find who yeah. won bet. It's a random idea. Actually, I think you should, there doesn't already exist. You should rate movies by economic accuracy or what they should have done to maximize economic Ooh, output or brilliant. something like that. What a bad idea. Yeah. Content idea. Content, content idea. idea. Content <laughs> Superb. Yeah. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is if anybody does claim to predict the future, this is something that I learned by reading uh, Skin in the Game by Talib. But ask them mm-hmm. if they have adjusted their portfolio accordingly. And if they haven't, they just dispensing <laughs> Yeah. Game. So I haven't adjusted my portfolio accordingly. I don't yet know enough about what is going to happen in 2023 to be short on the market or to go long on the market or anything for that matter. I'm just continuing to say whatever it is that I would in a normal course, which is not me saying that there is not going to be a recession, which is me saying I don't know if there's going to be a recession. But having said both of these things, this is just a very long disclaimer. Now what you're speaking about, how will we try and figure out what indications might there be that a recession is coming along? First, quite simply crowdsourcing the idea. So a lot of uh, professional polls that have been conducted amongst economists, usually the response rate by now has been in excess of 50%, that more than half of economists are saying that yes, there likely is to be a recession. All of them could be wrong, but there does seem to be some sort of a consensus gathering. So that's one thing you might want to look out for at a very base Mm -hmm. level. Even if you yourself don't know economists, economics, sorry, what are the so-called experts saying? Second, interest rates are high right now and inflation is high right now. And it is almost all but a guarantee that interest rates will be raised a little bit from here on in, not just in India, but the world over. And what Mm -hmm. that that means on the ground is a lot of one consumers are going to say it is now more difficult to buy homes. It is more difficult to buy apartments. It is more difficult to buy cars. It is more difficult to buy flat screen TVs. Let's not buy all of this right now at the margin. So people who might have decided Mm -hmm. to buy something by taking a look at how low interest rates are, are now not buying that stuff. And so therefore, there is now an incentive for people to not produce that stuff. One. Yeah. Second, even if you were planning on producing something, you need to ask yourself, am I better off keeping this money in the bank or am I better off employing it and building out a new factory? The higher the interest rate it is, the more attractive it is for me to keep money in the bank. Right. So one, consumers are likely to not buy quite as much. Producers are not likely to spend quite as much. And that is the very definition of a recession. So in extremely Mm. simplistic terms, yes, it is all but a guarantee that there is likely to be a slowdown right now, sometime in the year 2023. Mm. Compounding all of this is the fact that we have that mad war in Russia, sorry, in Ukraine going on right now that shows no sign of abating and that is only going to add to the inflationary pressures for the simple reason that both Russia and Ukraine tend to be really major exporters of basic crops. Those are simply not available Mm. and food inflation is not going to therefore come down anytime soon. Fuel inflation is therefore not going to come down anytime soon. We got lucky because Europe has got a mild winter this year. But in addition to all of what I said, one, high food prices, B, eventually, whether you like it or not, high fuel prices, combined with high inflation, combined with high interest rates, it's just a perfect, sorry, the recipe for a perfect storm, which is why very simplistically put, yes, there is all but likely to be a recession this year. The question is the timing. So I know broadly, I'm fairly sure that the direction in which the economy is going, can I time it? I wish I could, but I don't know exactly when the recession is going to happen. That's a great answer in that way. But what also comes down to is, what is it going to look like? Like, what does it, how does it, how do we know that we are going to be, when are we, when we are already in a recession and what is it, what are those key 
indicators that are going to tell us that, hey, here we are, finally, this is where the recession has begun and these are where the things are going to go off. Like, and this, I know I understand, again, all the disclaimers in place yeah. uh, where we are saying that, yeah, again, we, what I guess you would be able to model it on is what recessions have behaved like in the past, right? So again, on that, what are those key markers and indicators knowing that there is a delta of the stuff that we don't know? Yeah. So in the language of economics, what you're asking for is what are the leading indicators? And the reason I yeah. bring this up is because there are also what are known as lagging indicators. You can take a look at how GDP has changed over time. And you can say that if there has mm-hmm. been a decline in GDP for two successive quarters, then you might want to declare it as a recession. The problem with that mm. plan is we report our GDP two months after the quarter has ended. So we'll only find out what yeah. is happening in this quarter two months after the quarter has gotten over. And well, no pun intended, but in terms of a quarter getting over, that is going to be a... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Subtle, but nice. Yeah, this was also true of the game that going back to that Fed chair game, right? Yeah, like exactly. the stuff is that when whatever actions you take can only impact like a quarter or two after that you've taken exactly. those actions. Correct. So there is that lag that happens in that as such. So yeah, you can't like have immediate results on things. But yeah, go on. Sorry, you so were real-time indicators, you might want to take a look at, say, for example, particularly in India, you might want to take a look at how two-wheeler sales are doing. And the reason I said two-wheeler mm. sales is because four-wheeler sales are actually not a good indicator of how well the Indian economy is doing because mm. not many of us actually end up buying automobiles. So very few, right. literally a very few privileged people end up doing so. But motorcycles, almost everybody will at some point or time in their lives buy and unfortunately, right. two-wheeler sales in India have not been doing all that great. And if you see a sign that they're declining even further from here on in, that would be a pretty good indication that things are not looking so hunky-dory. You might want to take a look at real estate prices, not necessarily only in the urban areas, but especially in the rural areas. That might provide another indicator. The stock market, I would say, is actually not a good indicator because it is driven, Absolutely. I think, more by hype than anything else. And you might want to take a look at simple indicators that really should begin to cause you worry. Say, for example, uh, do you see evidence of shrinkflation? So Hindustan Unilever and how it is pricing its products and not just pricing its products, but also how it is changing the quantity within each product. Yeah. So shrinkflation mm. simply means I'll keep the price the same, but sell you a slightly lesser quantity. But you'll get a slightly smaller bar of soap. And when mm. that happens, you realize that a company like HUL is struggling to get sales in rural areas. And rather than cause a reduction in price, they're reducing the quantity sold. And the only reason they're doing that is because people are not even willing to buy at 10 rupees. That is likely to be a good indicator that we have a recession upcoming. Yeah, and 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 not just and and uh, this part is not just quantity, but also I mean I used to work I used to work with leading chocolate brand, hmm. and the other aspect was they used to maintain their price point, but also what they used to do was substitute i mean they increase the volume of sugar in the chocolate and reduce the volume of chocolate because yeah. chocolate's far more expensive than sugar Correct. right so that that was one way of kind of mitigating it so even though they kept the volume the same quality effectively of the product kept changing so these are these are interesting markers to look out for yeah and uh, so uh, besides that like i mean I'd, I'd look at it get these as macro indicators to kind of gauge where the overall economy is getting into a, a recession how does, I mean, what are those key aspects, I mean, which you would probably, which you could probably tell that an average consumer, an average non-economics person who is living their everyday life can do to kind of like first identify the points of a recession and also what what they can look out for and what they can do to kind of like safeguard themselves or at least like safeguard their interests in any which way from a recessionary atmosphere 
during i mean before during and after a recession really more a question for a personal financial advisor than an economist and i'm not a personal financial advisor but yeah fairly yeah, simple fair. rules which i would think anybody should practice is boss even if you don't earn anything for the next 6 months do you have some liquid cash somewhere ki guzara chal jayega is but mm-hmm. you'd be surprised at the number of people who end up not doing something like this it doesn't have to be yeah. the same kind of lifestyle but you should have the ability to make your home run for the next 6 months and this money isn't to be in equities it isn't to be in anything even remotely risky this is i don't know to use the word or phrase safe as houses after 2008 it should be kept as <laughs> it should be kept as safely as possible that goes without saying number 1 number 2 and again this is fairly obvious stuff but i worry about the number of people i know who don't seem to follow this do not for the love of god max out your credit cards and always pay the full amount not minimum amount due i'm speaking to a very small portion of india's population who actually has credit cards but even outside of credit cards don't over leverage yourself in terms of debt if you know that a recession is coming along but it's interesting to me over time the indicator that i have relied upon the most is the number of times i'm asked when i teach economics in an mba college sir agle saal recession hone wala hai ya nahi is i found to be the best indicator of whether wow. there will be a recession next year or not <laughs> because nobody is more interested in recessions than people are going to sit for placements agar wo log pooch rahe aur unke chehre pe tension hai to bas the economy is in trouble Chuck is the recession back relating over recession here. Recession back 2009, Micah. Thank you, thank you, thank Ouch. you. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's okay. Yeah, so Talk you know, uh, try to convince companies to come on campus, right? So when those uh, guys start asking you questions, that's pretty a pretty good yeah, idea. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I think that experience <laughs> taught me a lot, including how to live in Bombay on a budget. But anyway, we will not get into how we salvage that. But yeah, yeah, that's but a great. It's the same it's point, Chuck. Right? Yeah, what I said about is. a bad teacher teaching you how to be a good professor. A bad mm. placement season teaches you how to think wow. about your career. Yeah, yeah. I actually wouldn't <laughs> say that. Yeah. Very true. Very profound, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I'd actually sum up. I'd uh, round off this by like an overall econ question, and here is where I would also give you an opportunity mm. to make your plugs if you so choose to. As an as, as an average uh, layperson who is interested in economics but uh, doesn't really know where to start and doesn't really know where to like. begin to get a better understanding of the space what are those resources that you would recommend and uh, mm. places that you can go to kind of like start off this journey sure so marginal revolutions university the same blog that i spoke of the two professors who run that blog have created an online video series which is entirely worth watching there are subtitles mm-hmm. available in almost all indian languages so feel free to follow along no matter which language you're most proficient with but marginal revolutions uh-huh. university is a good place to begin Everybody, and this is for like absolute beginners absolute as beginners. well so you can begin principles right. of right. economics micro and macro and you need to know nothing they don't use a single equation in those videos it's entirely worth watching i am working with them on a part time basis oh, nice. so there is some bias involved but i genuinely do think that they are easily the best uh, resource that you can use in terms of video in terms of audio i can't better planet money it's fantastic everybody should listen to the planet and money podcast uh, and it's sister podcast the indicator as well which i think is a yes. great name for a show absolutely and in terms of books so rather than everybody recommends free economics but you might want to read a book called the undercover economist by a guy called oh. tim hafford yes i've heard of this mm-hmm. yes Yeah. yeah so he's also got he's got lots of books out but you might also want to read about 50 things that change the modern economy this is both a podcast and yes. a book but uh, the undercover economist and the undercover economist strikes back are 
both very good books oh, too oh very nice, nice. <laughs> yeah both very good books oh, fantastic and sure i'll plug my own blog but i don't think you should read the blog to learn about economics you should read yeah. the blog to basically listen to me rant about everything about it. i think that's i think that's a great yeah. place to begin and that is econ for everybody yeah, yeah that is econ we'll put everybody. all these links yeah. so shriket i have a few yeah. questions for you which i have mm-hmm. assiduously yes, been oh, making me. yeah for you okay uh, ashish feel free to answer these as well if you get naren has a look on his face he knows where this is going so oh um, god what do you call a thermos that gets a man out of jail i am afraid to ask milton yes. friedman obviously of course uh, uh, okay now if you were to hunt and eat a raw fish you could say that the game is in the skin Oh, oh my god. god. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is what I was sitting and writing uh, by the way there is like uh, how on earth is it possible for tasers to exist because of supply shock economics? No, supply shock. <laughs> Why? Okay. Oh my god. No, I still, still very much about the fold on this paper. You know in uh, these are going to scare off future experts. <laughs> you know, or these. or keep them coming back or keep them coming back. He tends to write them during the episode. Awesome. <laughs> Believe me. Awesome. So uh, or awful depending on your point of view. Yeah, you, so you yeah. know these hisab kitab books right which you probably seen your uh, kirana wala use so mm-hmm. at the end of the day he sits and adds you know how much he has on the side right that is called marginal revenue it's <laughs> kind of proud of that one but sriket wasn't <laughs> okay what do you call you know there are various kinds of markets right what do you call a kind mm-hmm. of market in which you sell only one small horse and this you should definitely get one of you should get What, what is it one, one trick you sell only one trick <laughs> no not one trick, <laughs> one, trick one trick pony was a great answer but i was actually going for monopony you know like monopsony monop <laughs> so anyway oh instead of this beach we could have gone to that one and now we are wasting our time over here this is an example of opportunity coast opportunity coast coast That's opportunity coast amma <laughs> Oh wow. So yeah, so that was fantastic. I mean, Ashish, thank you so much for taking the time and like uh, this is great. Yeah, so thank you so much and yes, please uh, we will leave all of uh, where places where you can follow Ashish importantly his blog Econ for Everybody which I feel is a delightful read. I mean, blogging is uh, is is a is a dying art form in some way and i think ashish is one of those few people who i still follow no, on we, that we i think we need to i think one two things right one i think we need to make blogs great again i think uh, yeah. i think that's one and two i am fully on board with anyone who puts a little bit of their personality and a little bit of mm. their story yeah. into the way they write and my favorite current writers whether it's i don't know somebody like a scott galloway or somebody who's like a shruti rajgopal and amit varma i think all of these guys they aren't just good at what they do and how they think but also putting themselves out there and i definitely see that happening so thanks so much ashish for appearing thank on the you. show and for all that you do superb so thank you so much and narain do you want to sign us off yes stay safe stay economical and stay simplified 